This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and tell a friend to help them find Out of Water also. This episode is the conclusion of our two-part conversation about the parable of the sower from Matthew chapter 13. If you didn't listen to part one, this part won't make much sense. So hit pause, go find episode 142A, and give that a listen before you go forward with this one. If you've already done that, welcome back. I'll stop talking now and let you hear the rest of Sam and I talking. The irony of that isn't lost on me. Here's part two. Well, that's only the second of four soils. <laughs> the third one here is the one where he talks about that some of the seeds fell among the thorns. And then as he, you know, when he's giving us the explanation of what that means, he says, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. So on the parable side of it, he says, other seeds fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. On the explanation side, Jesus is telling us that these thorns represent the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Um, this is one where, as I was reading through different commentaries on this passage and, and studying for, for personal worship and for doing the podcast, this is one where there was some debate between the people that were writing these different commentaries as to the genuineness of the faith in the example of the third soil here. Were these people who were genuine Christians? Are they going to be there on the day of judgment? Are they going to be part of the, of the kingdom? And they just got weighed down by, you know, everything and they weren't able to get loose from it all. And they sort of fell away or were these people who weren't ever really true, you know, followers? Because if this parable, this metaphor can be understood, the rocky soil, those are people that were like joyous and woohoo, this is great. And then, but they were here today and gone tomorrow. These are folks we're talking about who have been in the pews for a while, right? These are folks that have been, they've been going along for the ride. They've been participating in the seminars. They've gone to the marriage class. They've gone to the Truth Unearthed, and they've gone to the Discover Rio, and they've done all these things, and they've, and they've been here for some period of time, but eventually something gets to them, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches. So when you look at this third soil, and the examples that are given here. Do you feel like these are genuine followers who get kind of, who, who eventually get overrun by something or are these not genuine followers? What, how, how do you look at that? You know, I, I think that I'm going to give the weasel answer here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it, when, when these plants grow up, it says the seed fell among the thorns, the thorns grew up and choked them. But did it choke them before they had a chance to bear fruit? Right. Um, well, I, Jesus I think, says they were unfruitful. He says that. 
He does. Uh, what, he, how, he does how say. How does that. he put it? He says, uh, "For what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful." You see, this is where it's hard, and where the case to make against it is where Jesus, both Jesus and John the Baptist, will talk about how you know the axe is laid at the base of every tree, and that which does not bear fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. He makes it very plain. You know that he expects that would, that he that he brings forth to bear fruit, but then it even seems like Jesus qualifies this because later in the same chapter, when he gives the parable of the weeds and the tares, you know he says a man goes out and sows good seed in his field, and the men are sleeping. The enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away, and so up comes the wheat, and it's just absolutely intermingled with weeds. And so so what you're talking about, people who are struggling with sin, you know, but they have fruit in their life, but it's, you know, the weeds are all around it. You know, there can be a person who has absolutely authentic faith, who is heaven-bound, who is struggling with all sorts of weeds that are that are causing the crop to suffer, right? It's not as fruitful as it could be. And in that parable, Jesus says, okay, wait for the harvest and then separate them and throw the, the weeds away and gather the, the grain or the fruit. So in that sense, like Jesus is telling us, there's going to be – and I think in that one it's talking more about individual people – but there's going to be the weeds mixed with the wheat. Um, I, I certainly know that throughout my Christian walk, there's never – there's never come a moment where I've said, man, I'm so glad that I have really just conquered sin. <laughs> you know? Yeah, okay. You know, I, I always feel like there's there, – my my garden needs tending. I always feel like there's weeds and thorns that need to be plucked up. And, the, you know, one of the things is, I, is I've walked longer in my faith. Um, as I've walked longer in my faith – I used to think, man, if I can just get these addictions under control, then I'd be a really good Christian. And then if I could just get my relationships under control, I'd be a really good Christian. And then it becomes the more the longer you walk, the more you realize, man, like the sin nature that lives in me, the selfishness. When I get in, an, like I've talked about before, when I get in an argument with my wife, it is amazing to me how much my impulse is when. You must say whatever it takes to win the argument, to prove your point or whatever, and thankfully that's less and less. But I got weeds, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, I think anybody who hears this as, well, you're just not allowed to have sin. If you're you're going to be something that bears fruit, you know, it, it can't be that. But I think what this is saying is not, can you be a Christian that has sin commingling in weeds? What it's saying is you never have a chance to really have healthy roots to become a fruitful tree because sin at the at the beginning of your journey the sin never allowed the seed to really um take healthy root you yeah. know it, it, you you never surrendered because you were always under another master so you know when I, when I first came I had lots of different masters when I first came to faith um and they, you know, they they kind of like ward, you know, the Lord and all of these things ward over who was my true master. But there, there was a war, and there was some fruit that developed, and God started displacing and you know evicting all these former masters. And I, you know, where I think this is saying is before someone authentically 
embraces the gospel, surrenders to Jesus, and walks, the sin, the the other masters in your life, whatever they may be, keeps you from ever experiencing the the soul awakening power and freedom that comes in the gospel. And of course, like you said, there's different commentaries with different takes. So sure. my my opinions, you know, well, throw that into the mix. Yeah, but that's the way I kind of work through that parable. Yeah, in my mind, I know that from my own perspective, I I get very frustrated with how often it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been prayers between myself and God that go something like this: Really. I'm here again, God, really? You know, it's like, I'm worthless. I can't shake this. It's like, Mm -hmm. I'm over and over down on my knees for the same sin. It's like, it's the things that trip you up. It's always, you know. And so I think both of us, both you and I, have Mm -hmm. had times where we suffer from an imposter syndrome, where we're Mm -hmm. like, this, we must, this can't be, you know, like, I, 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 if the spirit really lived in me, I would not do this. Yeah, right. and um, and so if you're somebody who has that moment, understand that you're not alone. Here's a pastor and an elder who are both saying to you, "We get those moments too." Mm-hmm. You know the two the two great illustrations of this um, are the way that Peter and Judas respond. I love that's where my mind goes. Right. So when Jesus is coming. And his very last moments on earth, the last 24 hours of his life, he's betrayed by two of his apostles. You know, Judas is going to sell him for silver, but Peter betrays him to his face. I do not know that man calling down curses and all that stuff. And so both of them betray Jesus. Peter goes out and he weeps bitterly. Judas is absolutely tormented by the fact that, that he's a mess. One of them is going to be – they both do the same thing. They both have walked away from – the Lord have have committed this betrayal. I'm sure both of them thought, you know, I can't, I can't be real. But what happens? Peter encounters the mercy of Christ. He knows what he's done is wrong. He grieves over it, and he cannot. Like I love when Jesus sees him from the shores of Galilee at the end of the Gospel of John. Peter's reaction isn't to hide from Jesus. It's I can't get to him fast enough mm-hmm. because if I have a problem of sin, if I feel like a failure. There's nowhere else I can go but to him. He is the one who cleanses me, and so I'm going to race to him. And so if you feel like that, if you ever feel like, I'm not sure I'm a real believer, guess what that should do to you? It should make you like Peter that's like, man, I just betrayed the Lord. I can't get to him fast enough because I know his character. I know his heart is to restore me. He's the one who chases after the lost sheep. I can't get to him fast enough. Where Judas has the absolute – when I think of the, the, this, this part of the parable, I think of Judas. Um, and what happens when he fails the Lord? He recognizes what he's done is wrong, but he absolutely despairs and goes out and hangs himself. Mm-hmm. He doesn't see any hope of mercy. He doesn't recognize the character of Jesus that's eager to, re- to, to restore those who stumble away. And I mean, Jesus had even – you know, basically cursed him at the Last Supper, saying it would be better for him not to be born if he betrays Jesus. But you have those two different hearts, one that's godly sorrow that recognizes something's off, but Jesus can heal it all. Jesus is merciful toward all of it. Or ungodly sorrow that just wallows in despair. 
And one leads to life and one leads to death. But you think, you know, I think of Judas as a perfect example of this because here you have somebody who we know that Jesus essentially said he is not saved, Mm -hmm. you know, that he is going to be judged. And yet Jesus called him. He was an apostle. He was given authority by Jesus to cast out demons. He had spiritual gifts, for goodness sakes. And yet he never he he was that he was that thing that always was there among the weeds and never bore any spiritual fruit that was authentic. Um, and he's he's like my test subject for this part <laughs> of the parable because it's like you know I'm sure that people met Jesus because of Judas, um, w- yeah. which would be you can imagine being in their shoes, yeah. but and thinking, oh my goodness, is my faith genuine if that's the guy who led me to Jesus? And well, the answer, of course, is yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Hey, we struggle with that kind of stuff all the time when people yeah. like Ravi Zacharias fall. Yeah, absolutely. There's a guy absolutely. who was a great apologist for the faith, and there's lots of people who came to faith because they heard Ravi explain things to them in a way mm-hmm. that they could understand. And yet, here's a, he's a guy who fell horribly, you mm-hmm. know, um, after after his passing, all those things that came out about him. Is their, is their experience somehow invalidated by the fact that the guy who led them there was a fallen, sinful – no, not at all. Their, their mm-hmm. experience is not invalidated. Yeah, Ravi Zacharias didn't bring them to life. The Spirit of God did. Correct. Correct. And so you know, you look at parable – and that's where I'm at. Like <clears throat> Judas, how do you make sense of that? I mean he walked with Jesus for three years. He, he participated in all this and yet there was something in him that never believed. It was never authentic. He, and, and we know, you know, it will tell us that the whole time he's going around with them, he's stealing. He's using this ministry experience as, a, as an excuse to make money you know, and to steal right. from their treasury. And, right. You know, and so there, there you go in this parable. He's, he's tangled up in these weeds that never allows Jesus to be the master, the king on the throne. With somebody like Judas, I've always said that – I mean, Judas obviously saw Jesus perform the same miracles that the other disciples saw. Um, he was with them. You know, he was one of the 12. So he saw the same things that they that they all saw. So he certainly knew that Jesus was more than just an ordinary man. Um, but I think there was this thing of – like you and I talked about with the the – you know the following thing. It's like you're you're you are called to give up what is you know to lay aside yourself. Mm-hmm. Jesus plus nothing equals everything, right? So I've got to become nothing. I in order in order to follow him, I've got to take my own agenda and walk away from it. I've got to be concerned with his agenda, and that was the step that Judas wasn't able to take. Mm-hmm. Judas was Judas understood, I think that you know that Jesus was something special. But he couldn't bring himself to lay his own interests aside, and and Peter was able to. Um, anyway, that's a that's a that's a good question. The Judas test. I'll have to remember that one for next time. That's a good that's a good way to look at it. And here's the thing: like we're we this is not a matter of legalism. Like, well, Judas didn't earn it. Had Judas taken his struggles and gone to the Lord and said, "Man, I have this mess," you wouldn't believe. If, it may, you know. We have a time machine or whatever. If Judas had said to Jesus, oh, my goodness, earlier today I betrayed you and I am so sorry and I repent and I want to follow you, the Lord's not going to say, well, nope, (laughs) you know. Right. But there's never anything in Judas. And we're not talking about sanctification. 
you know, Judas had more evidence of sanctification than justification, honestly. He he followed. He did Bible studies. He trampled around all over Israel with right. them. He, you know, had all the the stuff. The problem was Judas never had a true conversion moment where he yielded and said, you're the Lord of my life that displaces all other thrones. And I think that that's where we come down to this thing of, a true conversion experience will not happen and leave you unchanged. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that doesn't mean that you're going to immediately start acting different because you're the one that knows whether something has changed or not. You're the one that knows what's going on inside your heart and mind and what things you're wrestling with now that you didn't five minutes ago, but now all of a sudden become a big concern of yours. The fact that I was angry that I couldn't shake these things that I wanted to to give up, but I couldn't give up and went through all of that up and down stuff and, and, and still find myself on my knees for the same sins. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, but the fact is that it, it did not leave me unaffected. That's the thing here that when I look at um, <clears throat> someone like Judas, he acted the part. He did the he did the deeds. But was there ever a point at which he was changed on the inside? And I would have to say no. So that's the question now um, with that third type of soil where it says that the thorns and the, the, the cares of this world and the the deceitfulness of riches, these these burdens, these mental concerns, this the busyness of life, if you will, have choked them out, is because I've I've struggled with that same question where I've seen people who I've sat next to in those church pews, and we don't have pews anymore, sorry, chairs for a long time. I mean years in some cases, mm-hmm. and they've walked away. And when I have followed up with them, sometimes years later, I bump into them. And Sam, it's like none of that church stuff ever happened. And, and I'm, I'm, I, it's just hard for me to process. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I knew you. We were there together in the Bible studies, in the church services. You know, we were in the trenches together. And I, I talked to you. So these, these were people, in some cases, that I've known very well. Mm-hmm. Or thought I did, and then for them to be able to look at me and be like, "Man, I just can't," you know, I don't know that sort of that sort of like, yeah, whatever attitude. I don't understand it, um, and I struggle with it. You know, am I going to see them? You know, in heaven? I don't know. Did you see fruit in their life when they were believers? Yes. Then you know, I do think it's possible. You know, if you were, if you let's say you were talking about your you know, son or your okay. daughter or right. your sister or someone, and you came to me and told me that, you know, there there are comforts in the Bible where Jesus says, you know, that none that the Father have given him will be snatched out of his hand. There's passages that talk about that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, and it gives us a long list of things that can't separate us. And and so I do believe that there are people who walk away for a season that you have hope. If you can look back and you can see evidence that the Spirit enlivened them and moved in them and, and controlled them and animated them at one mm. point in their life and they've walked away, I think there is great reason for hope 
that they've backslidden and that Christ will reclaim them, you know, because it's not by works, by the way, that you get to heaven. We got to right. remember that. Right. But the flip side of that is, is if you don't remember any fruit of their life, that they were there, they did everything, but they weren't animated by it. It didn't change them. It didn't. Then I think there's real reason for concern where you're like, man, was it ever even genuine to right. you? Right. And, and you know, both the people in both camps, because I can look back at people that were on fire for the Lord, who were servants to the bone, who loved the Word of God, something traumatic happens in their life, and it's like faith becomes painful, you know, <laughs> and, and they walk away. They, they wonder, why didn't God answer this prayer? But it's grievous to them. You know, it hurts. They miss it. But there's like a, I'm, I'm angry at God. Yeah. That's... That to me gives encouragement because they're still in relationship with God. Right. You know, the, the scary thing, you know, it's like Job. When Job is having it out with God, God says, and in all of this, Job did not sin. Why? Because Job is going with his anger and he's having it out with God. It's the people who who look at it and shrug. They're not grieved when they walk away from the faith. You don't remember seeing them ever care about the Lord, you know, or doing great things and being fruitful. Those are the ones where I would have more concern, but I think there are many stories where you see people backslide or enter into seasons of trauma where the faith is just really hard for them in that. Yeah. But I think there's great reason. And by, by the way, it's not because of that person's faithfulness. It's because of God's faithfulness. You know, He perseveres. He walks with people through these hard seasons. Right. Um, and I think he'll be faithful on the other end. If the Spirit moved in them and showed signs of life, Jesus does not lose any passengers. Mm-hmm. And I think there's great hope in those instances. You know, I, I, I do sort of console myself in some cases by saying that when Paul was describing the fruit of the Spirit, right, he listed all things that are, are a changed person on the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, believing that those changes will eventually become evident but they start on the inside. And so sometimes you, you see things that you think this is God working in their life. You can see God, you know, the Spirit softening them and changing them and bringing them around on certain things. But then when they walk away, it just seems so complete that I'm like, mm-hmm. were you ever really there uh, to begin with? So. Yeah, there's a, another famous verse that's kind of along this that, that people quote a lot with this is it comes in 1 John chapter 2 and it's verse 19 where John is – he's talking about people who have, like you talked about, who left the church. You know, they tasted it and they were part of us and then they disappeared. But he says this. He says, they went out from us, but they were never of us. For right. if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. Yeah. And so what he's saying is somebody who walks away and there was you know not the fruit and all that stuff, it's evidence that they were never genuinely converted. And I think that's where Hebrews 6 is. You know, yeah. They've experienced all the benefits and blessings of a covenantal community. They were really close. They saw the beauty of the word. They got really close and yet never – came to life, yeah. never committed, never surrendered. So um, so then we have the fourth soil, which is the one that we can all agree on. <laughs> that, <clears throat> of, of all of this, that's the easiest one to understand. 
he says, other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. And when he's explaining it, he says, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. And I do think that there's some comfort here, that Jesus is 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 comforting the those that have the ears to hear those that those to whom he is addressing by saying with some it's a hundredfold with some it's 60 with some it's 30 mm-hmm. this idea being that we're not all the same we're not we're not given the same gifts we're not given the same opportunities what we need to do is we need to we need to do what we can with what god has given to us when the opportunity is there and for some of us that's going to be a lot of stuff we're going to bear a lot of fruit and for others, not so much. But it's, are you faithful in, you know, using what God has given you to do what God wants you to do? Tom is, is fond of saying that in some cases it, you know, talking about the John 15, the vine bearing fruit. He's like, sometimes it's just that one little shriveled up raisin <laughs> on the end of the vine. But there's always going to be something. Mm-hmm. Um, and And that, I think is what Jesus is getting at here with the varying amounts is that he's saying, you know, Mark, don't compare yourself to Sam. Sam, don't compare yourself to Tom. You know, we don't compare ourselves to each other and to the people that are in that are there on Sunday mornings, right? Don't worry about what you think other people are oh, they're they're they just so much more than me. No, that's Jesus is like, look, you you know, we all produce fruit to varying amounts and in varying kinds. Mm-hmm. Um so I think that is a comfort to us that that final variation there. Yeah, and and getting back, you know, you mentioned John fifteen, but again, you know, we talk about that this isn't about you, <laughs> and if if you're reading the parable of the sower, you know, the one thing that you're called to do is is allow the Spirit to to have your life to surrender him to him because like even in John 15 it says you know if you're trying to do things on your own you don't have the power to do anything right but it's by the power of the spirit of god that you produce fruit it's it's all on him and it's about surrendering to his design that's good soil that's you know that's that is going to be when you look at the word of god and you put your roots down deep and you just let the power of of God flow in you, that is when the fruit is produced. You know, right. I, I remember a quote from Corey Tim Boom, who's one of the most incredible women who survived the Holocaust and and did so forgiving captors. I mean, she's an amazing example of a disciple of Jesus. And she says, "Oh my gosh, trying to produce fruit in my own strength is the most exhausting thing I've ever tried." Mm-hmm. But when you yield to the Spirit, it just flows through you. Right. Um, and that's hard, and it's like, okay, well, what does it mean to yield to the Spirit? And it means, you know, it's it's when you the more you learn about the Word of God, and the it's like I, I always say, the Word of God is like building a skeleton, mm-hmm. and it, it gives you form. It, it shows you what God is like. It shows you His character. It shows you what Jesus is like. It gives you the. It kind of paints this picture of beauty, and then what the Spirit of God does is the Spirit of God comes and animates it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, okay, now that I know the word, I know the design, I know where my roots are supposed to go down, and now when I bring up the water and the nutrients and everything else, the Spirit of God then animates and brings fruit. It, you know, 
I'm rambling right now. <laughs> but but it goes like this. You will always mimic what you find to be most beautiful. Right. You always will. And so, you know, the seed that goes down on the path, it doesn't it doesn't get to know it. It doesn't read the scriptures, all that that if it's on rocky soil and it's flash in the pan kind of stuff, you never get to know who Jesus is. And if it's you know strangled out by weeds, you never get to see what it's like to to lean on him alone without bowing down to all these other masters or at least fighting for him to be your sole master. But when you see God, when you get to know him in the scriptures and you get to find that he is so much more beautiful than everything else in this world that this world has to offer, you can't help but want to be like him. And it's like, man, I'm yours. Make me like you. I want to be more like you. I want to be your hands and feet in this world, and I surrender to you, Lord, use me. When when all the other competing interests look like rubbish by comparison, right. the Spirit animates you. You know, mm-hmm. he's going to conf- – that's part of the mission statement of the whole – you know, in Romans 8, you know, he's seeking to conform you into the image of the Son. Right. So all the unique ways that you're created, however God is, you know, you talked about the raisins, some have a raisin. All the unique ways that God has made you, your sense of humor, your personality, all the wonderful ways that he's made you unique, you become conformed. It's like the spirit of Christ then animates you exactly the way God designed you to be unique and individual in this world that this world needs. And when we put our roots down deep, and we get to see how beautiful he is in the word, and we yield to the spirit to animate us, we become more like him. Mm-hmm. And it's a battle that we fail day in, day out. You know, We're constantly having to seek him for mercy and to show him gratitude for, for never giving up on us and to love him more because his grace is amazing. You know, that love affair just snowballs. Right. You're never conquered because you feel lesser than you – because he's always chasing you yeah. and making you new. It just makes you love him more. The more you see your sin, the more you're amazed by his grace. It, it's just the snowball, right. and you will become more and more like him. So That's e- good soil. It is. Um, and so even though we can agree that the fourth soil are the true believers in this example, the ones that receive the word of the kingdom and they understand it, I think it's helpful to to be able to reflect back and say that we see bits and pieces of all four soil types in each of us. Um, Even today, um, there are times when I'm that I'm that guy on the path. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like God's trying to communicate something to me and I'm not I'm not paying attention. I'm not you know, I'm not slowing down. I'm trampling, you know, I'm trampling that seed underfoot here, you know. Um, there's times when, when I'm one of these guys that, and this is my particular thing, I'll be somebody that will just jump off at something like you, you start to suggest something. I'm like, that's a great idea. And I'm just, I'm off like, bam, there goes Mark, you know, Oh, squirrel. You know, like, <laughs> and, and it's, you know, I've not taken the time to, to go through the proper amount of consideration and preparation and things like that. And I burn out. You know, it's like mm-hmm. there's that there's that flare of this is a great idea, but I don't have it never has a chance to take root. And so I burn out. And then there's times where, you know, I mean, honestly, 
the cares of this world. It's like I feel overwhelmed by my family, my the the you know. It's like keeping track of the where all the dollars go and planning for retirement and all these other things. And and there's times when I'm like, man, Lord, I've not given you a single thought today. I've been so tied up in trying to figure out the taxes that you know, and I allow these things to overwhelm me. So there's, I think there's moments in which we see all of these four types of soil and behavior in us even to this very day yeah and and i agree with that i think the the careful thing for me is we experience that because the word of god is always coming to us right this parable i think is more addressing salvation Mm -hmm. like do does the seed go down does the spirit bring life to you and he gives these illustrations. Now, if if you've come to faith, you're, the seed is still coming. The word of God still comes into your heart, even sure. if you're a believer and your salvation is secure. We're not talking about that, but absolutely, you're right. There are times where I feel so hard-hearted and like the word of God just hits me in the forehead and drops on the table and it can't <laughs> – <laughs> it doesn't penetrate because – I'm just hard at the moment. I've yeah. made no room to be sensitive to the spirit or I'm exhausted or I'm angry and and those seasons come and all of that, you know. There's times where my preoccupation or anxiety or anger at the news or whatever makes the word of God it it has a hard time getting in because the weeds are there saying, "No, no, no, look over here, look over here, look over here." And I can't get any nourishment from the Word because my heart is so distracted and devoted to all these other competing things that are sucking nourishment out of me. Right. Um, and th- and then the same is true for the 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 like you said, where it's like, oh, that's a great idea. This is so wonderful. <laughs> I'm gonna. Here's my New Year's resolution. That's a perfect example. <laughs> that's always on shallow ground. That is. <laughs> I, I don't know that I've ever met anyone who has a successful New Year's resolution. But anyway. Um, but that's I, actually I do. It's me. But my New Year's resolution some years ago was to stop making New Year's resolutions. And, <laughs> that's and a I, safe one. And I have stuck to that one ever since. So there you go. So <laughs> there's a successful New Year's resolution. I'm going to stop making New Year's resolutions. There you go. So. But that, you know, but the cool thing about this is, is as many as you know, we're casting seed right now. You know, sure. you're casting seed at me. I'm casting seed at you. People who are listening, you know, if there's anything in the message that challenges or or comforts or encourages or whatever. Like all of this is seed that's hitting us. And and the goal is to always give the spirit of God good fertile soil. Right. And there's, you know, things that we can do to to help with that. Um, disciplines we can do, prayer, Bible reading, setting aside times, habits that give the best chance to grow a great crop. But it's all by his power. Right. Ultimately. You know, we I use this metaphor a lot, but we put up the sails, but that's meaningless if the wind doesn't blow. Right. Um, so he has to cause the growth. Yeah. Well, and we have to be, you know, aware of the fact that uh, the soil has to be prepared. You know, it's like, and I think that that's something that the spirit does. Um, I think our job is to to try to get out of the way. You know, is to yeah. interfere with it as little as possible. I I will say that I think this is funny. You know, we've. <laughs> meandering around looking at all these different types of soils. It makes it funny to me that when Jesus tells the, the first parable before he explains it, <laughs> that rather than the disciples coming to him saying, brilliant point, 
master, they say, why do you speak to them in parables? Because <laughs> <laughs> everybody's going, wait a minute, I know what that means. Yes. <laughs> you know, they're, or not. And the disciples are like, oh, this is, what do you, what do you mean? Why do you talk to them in these things? Well, I think, and I do think, I think it's fascinating that, and this is what we're going to wrap up on, but is this idea that in between the parable and the explanation, there is that exchange Mm -hmm. that Jesus has with the disciples. It says, the disciples came and said to him, like you said, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them. And this answer seems kind of cryptic. Jesus answered them and he says, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, has it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. From the one, But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And then he, he quotes a prophecy from Isaiah and says that that is that this is that prophecy is being fulfilled but just to get to what he starts with there it sounds like Jesus and this is where the this is where you know the dispensationalist stuff starts to creep in that little voice in the back of my head Jesus was saying things to them that he knew they wouldn't understand so you know that's that kind of thing of was he wasting time with this parable if he knew that they weren't going to understand it there's a part of me that has to say Sam you know, when he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, he knows that's going to be his disciples. But but I'm thinking there's got to be maybe at least somebody else in the crowd there who's going to understand what he's talking about. Oh, for sure. <clears throat> you know, he says that, that there are going to be those who hear and who understand. I, I think this, this comment is rather pointed at the Pharisees um, and those who feel like they have it all figured out. There's no room for them to be challenged. They have God in a box. Um, and he comes and gives these very real-world illustrations which should penetrate and should challenge the Pharisees. And the simple-minded, the humble, the everyday people are going, oh, I get it. Yeah, I know what it means to do that. I, now I see how you're teaching and what this message from God means for me. Mm-hmm. And and they're able to process new teachings. Um, but the Pharisees – are, are shut down from the beginning. You right. know, they, they do not have ears to hear. They've got it all figured out. The only thing they're interested in is shutting Jesus up. Right. Um, they, they have – and they're obsessed with traditions taught by men. I mean, he kind of slams them uh, for that. So I think what he's, what he's saying is my parables are meant for those that are teachable, those who have a humble spirit, those who look at these real-life illustrations and can see, oh, that's how God moves. Like it's it's personal. It's not just this big religious system that I, you know, put on my tassels and my robes and walk around and <laughs> you know, this is real. It's relational. It's boots on the ground. And they look at these parables and God's character comes to life in them. There's no room for that in the heart of people who think they have everything figured out. Um, and I think, I think that's where he he's going. You know. Jesus, 35% of the the things that we have recorded, so the red words, the words that Jesus speaks in, in the Gospels, 35% of them are parables. And so, you know, more than a third of what Jesus says comes in one of these parables. And mm-hmm. it's – he's a master teacher. He puts real life spin 
on God. He doesn't, you know, the Pharisees were obsessed with all these abstract concepts about God and theological debates about who God is and angels dancing on the head of a needle and all this stuff. And Jesus comes and talks about farmers and shepherds and right. and fathers and sons, and it's real world. And it's like, no, 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 you can relate to God by understanding this. And it was like too lo- – it was almost like it was too lowbrow <laughs> for yeah. the for the Pharisees. They they didn't want to hear it. They couldn't they couldn't they were too hardened to it. Right. And so I think that's kind of the heart of where he's going here. You know, I did I did find myself thinking as I was looking at this that especially because we've spent a couple hours now talking about what this means in great detail. And Jesus spent as long as it took me to read that, because that those are the words he said. So he was able to, in three sentences, say something that you know takes us two hours to kind of work through. <laughs> we're um, good at that. We're good at that. But How can we I, make it more complicated? But I did find myself as I as I thought about it. One one question I asked myself was, could I think of a different type of soil? And I couldn't. I couldn't think of a different response to the word of the kingdom between the hard path, the rocky soil, the the ground that's got the thorns in it or the ground that's been prepared and, and you know, brings up fruit. I tried to think of another one and I couldn't come up with one. And I thought that's part of the brilliance of Jesus is that he told a story, five sentences, maybe one sentence in the Greek, who knows, five English sentences here in our Bible. And he managed to describe really every possible reaction you could have to mm-hmm. the gospel and i thought man it's like you know when <clears throat> years- and it's simple enough to where you know a kid in middle school could unpack this and start thinking about it and understand yeah. it and it's taken you know idiots like us 2 hours to to unpack yeah. even a, a sliver of it you know well that's every time i think i'm a good writer and then i read something that was written by cs lewis and i look at it and i realize that i'm just like this i'm like this donkey standing outside braying into the storm you know or whatever it's like i (laughs) i I work and work and work and work and work to get something down to a page that and then i read him he's written three sentences and it's like oh yeah yeah that's the better way to put it you know what he said yeah Yeah. what he said i'll just quote lewis that's why so many people quote c.s lewis because why not um you know that (laughs) kind of thing there so, are very few sermons I've ever preached without a C.S. Lewis comment in there. <laughs> so when he quotes then the prophecy from Isaiah, which is from Isaiah, by the way, it's Isaiah chapter 6, nine, verses 9 and 10 that he's pulling from, he's citing from. He says, um, the, the prophecy says, you, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Then he turns to the disciples and he says, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So my question is, as, as, we, as we're wrapping this up, is what was it that the prophets and righteous people wanted to see that they didn't see? Was it, was it Jesus himself, the Messiah, or was it something else? What do you think, what do you think he's getting at here? Um, you know, in the, in the previous chapter to Matthew 13, he mentions this, where they come to him. And, I mean, he's done all these miracles. He's, right. he's t- brilliant teaching after brilliant teaching. 
and they come and they demand a sign, like prove to us that you're the Messiah. And he finally says, he calls them a, a wicked and adulterous generation, which there's a lot to unpack. Like they chase after their own selfish desires and they give their hearts to anybody and everybody but God. They're adulterous. They're not giving their heart to the one who deserves it. But we don't and have two says, more hours, so we won't unpack it right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. But but he says, you know, only one sign will be given to this generation, and that's the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth for three days. And so what he says is, you're looking for a sign. Nothing, nothing would satisfy you. Mm. But I'll give you this one sign, and it's the resurrection. Right. And behind that is death to life. He that's his great power. You know, who cares if he can pull a coin out of a fish's mouth or walk on water or whatever. Right. The great enemy that devours not just our bodies, you know, we'll all eventually die. Jesus conquers that. But death is always nipping at our heels. It's nipping at our marriages and our hopes and everything else. You can just feel things withering away in a fallen world. And Jesus says, no, 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 I have the power of resurrection, not just to bring you physically back from the dead, but to breathe life into you in all aspects of your life. And, you know, when he – that's the sign. And so all these things that they're looking at that they're not finding, it's because they don't understand what they need. They don't understand that they're dead. They don't understand that in them there is no life. Hmm. They need the one who can make things come to life. He's talking about the sower. What is it? It's it's the one who casts seed. But what is it that brings forth life to all these seeds? It's the one who has the power of life and death, the God of resurrection. He is the one who brings life up out of the ground. Mm. And they don't think they need him. Mm. They don't see that they are dead. Hmm. Well, I I think that that's – that that is a good way to to bring this to a conclusion because I do think that um, the the message of the parable of the sower has been this idea that it's it is it is the Lord who brings the life um, and it's He who prepares the soil. Um, you know, I, I mentioned in the personal worship that um, I felt I I think I asked I actually asked it in the form of a question as to why this parable should have been a comfort to the disciples and why would it be comforting to us today and i think that the and the answer to that by the way if if you haven't done your personal worship yet it's too late i'm going to answer the question now but the answer that i was looking for there is the outcome doesn't depend on us you know when, <sighs> when we talk about the sower and the seed we talk about this the seed that we're putting out there our responsibility is to put the seed out there but the outcome depends on the Lord. That that's that's it. That's the, what should have comforted the disciples. That's what should comfort us today. Is this idea that what we're responsible for is putting the seed out there, and what happens to the seed depends on how the ground has been prepared, and that's not up to us. Yeah, yeah. So. Amen. So we'll let that stand as our good word. <laughs> it's, a, it's a comfort because the Lord is saying it doesn't depend on you. Cast the seed. I'll take care of the rest. 
Well, we hope you've enjoyed this uh, special two-hour episode. <laughs> uh-huh. I will break this into two. I'll break this into two parts. Uh, but I, I originally talked about doing a six-hour miniseries, so I figured by getting it into a two-part episode, uh, we had an opportunity to kind of run this all down. But I do think it's been helpful. I hope that you've enjoyed your time with us. That you've got something from it. Um, if you'd like to correspond with us, we're, our inbox is open anytime you'd like to. That's out of water at riovistachurch.com, riovistachurch.com, where you can also find all of the back episodes, whether they're in one part or two of the, this podcast at riovistachurch.com slash out of water. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Sam and I will return next week with another in the series. He gave us stories, and we look forward to seeing you then. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.